Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to episode 41 of District of Conservation. Thank you guys for listening. If you're returning listeners, if you're new I appreciate you joining in, and I hope you enjoy the content. Last week's podcast had a lot of buzz on social media, and it was mostly positive, which is very cool. I love bringing on other outdoors people with unique backgrounds in the conservation space to talk about what they're up to, and especially on such a timely matter like forest management, which has been all over the news. It's the talk of Washington, D.C., and the talk of politicians out west. You're going to hear more stories like Lexi's, I promise, and stay tuned for those. I want to obviously give a shout-out to Real Camo Girl for sponsoring the podcast every week or whenever we publish these. They've been an early supporter since the beginning, and I'm really grateful to the ladies over there. I'm a pro staffer of theirs. I don't really do anything unique or out of the ordinary, but it's just a online community of women who love hunting, fishing, shooting sports, foraging, and all these other outdoor-related activities. So check them out at realcamelgirl.com and follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The question beckons, can politically conservative people be conservationists? Can they care about the environment? Can they care about the health of wildlife and whether or not species are endangered or threatened? Do they have any concern for natural resources and how they're managed? Are they strictly just extractors or people who believe in doing things and ruining the environment? Are there any guesses as to whether or not conservatives can care about managing wildlife, about protecting the environment? And I want to say that the answer for all these questions is yes. At the heart of conservatism, which is a political philosophy is the notion that its practitioners believe in conserving things. Without diving too deeply into the philosophical debate, because many detractors of conservatism don't believe that subscribing to anything traditional is healthy or conducive. They associate it with backwards thinking. But certain things, there are many good things that are tied to America's pastimes. People have enjoyed baseball for centuries. They've enjoyed various different pastimes. And those are the traditions that have been bestowed from generation to generation. And there are many good things that you can pass on like that. In terms of conservatism, being conservation minded, yes, those two ideas can be reconciled. And if you're in disbelief over those two things, being in concert with one another, stay with me and I will help explain and deconstruct as to why the very notion is possible. If you don't know, it shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone who listens. I am a political conservative. I've worked in politics for most of my young professional life. And I also have had crossover in the outdoor industry. I'm not shy about espousing conservative beliefs and I can assure you I don't bite and I'm not going to pressure you into subscribing to conservatism. You're free to believe what you want. And I hold no qualms about my political 
dispositions and my political beliefs. I make that very known. If you meet me or have met me, I'm pretty diehard conservative, but I'm very respectful. I'm not going to chew you out or lambast you for your beliefs. And you can, I want people to believe what they want to believe. And I'm not using this podcast to push my conservative agenda. I'm just simply using it to showcase that someone who is conservative like me, and there are plenty of others who are like me, can also be conservation minded and care about what happens to the environment and how we manage resources, how we manage wildlife, how we are supposed to be stewards. And I felt there was a huge deficit in the conservation space with a conservative newsmaker to talk about the issues, talk about policies that are happening. And that's why I started this podcast. If you want to know what a conservative view of conservation is, I'm going to break it down for you how we think about the environment and conserving resources and animals. The media and other entities may tell you otherwise, but it is true. Conservatives do care about the environment. They care about wildlife and the land they tend to or traverse. I go fishing. I just started to go hunting a few years ago. I certainly care what the heck people do to the surrounding areas that I wade in, that I boat from, and that I explore. I get so irritated whenever I see trash all over the place in a fishery, especially if you're fishing from the shore. Uncleanliness, no respect for the waterways, nothing. That irritates me. I think other conservatives and Republicans who go fishing and go hunting also are displeased by that. That's one misconception I wanted to help debunk. Another is if you read National Wildlife Federation's 2012 study on who primarily goes fishing and hunting and pays into excise taxes, at the time that the survey was recorded, it was identified that most respondents were conservative, philosophically thinking, and they vote Republican. We pay a huge chunk of excise taxes collected on sporting goods, namely firearms, licenses, archery, tackle, that go back to conservation efforts. And it's not limited to your political views. You can purchase a license and be a Democrat. I'm just saying that a lot of people, according to studies and just kind of conventional wisdom, shows that hunters and anglers are inherently more center-right. And that's a fact you can't, don't, can't really dispute and refute. It's known that people who tend to be more conservative tend to naturally incline to these activities. We want wildlife to thrive and we want habitat to flourish against any and all natural disasters without stoking fear in the hearts of our fellow Americans. I think environmentalism, because it does go along the lines of conservation, has been hijacked by a lot of entities. And I think a mere regurgitation of, let's say, radical environmentalism under the guise of Republican ideals is not conducive to a free market or a limited government philosophy. You have to be weary of certain groups that do that. But you can be concerned and, and want to prevent natural disasters without being apoplectic and stoking fear into the hearts of our fellow Americans. In terms of public lands use, we support multiple use sustainable yield management system of public lands, not preservation that blocks off access to recreationists or those who recreate or use public lands to survive and to provide for their livelihoods, namely timber, uh, energy exploration, things of that sort. I think a lot of people, especially when confusing and conflating conservation with preservation, they adopt an extremist view that says you can't do anything to the land, you can't develop it, you can't graze, you can't ranch, you can't own private land. There, There's a multiple-use philosophy that has been embedded in the culture of this country for a long time, since I would argue t Teddy Roosevelt's time in the early 1900s. 
And that's something that has to be advocated for. I'm very pleased to see the Bureau of Land Management, which we'll talk a little bit more about later, advocating for this type of multiple use management system of public lands. That's very healthy without compromising on either the environment or commerce. We believe also as conservatives that the free market can correct many errors found in environmental problems or conservation problems where the government hasn't succeeded in doing so, all the while maintaining a limited government perspective. We believe, especially when it relates to hunting and fishing, there was a new rule that was just adopted that federal laws should align with state law when it comes to mitigating ambiguity with hunting and fishing access. So a little bit of decentralization when it comes to that. So state laws for hunting and fishing regulations can be the standard bearer for things. We can also support clean air and clean water basics, but not believe that you have to have burdensome regulations in place in order to encourage people to be resourceful and to not pollute uh, either air or waterways. And I think over the years, there have just been so many burdensome regulations that have been placed on laws far beyond and exceeding their reach that have gone after people and, and been disastrous. And just because you support deregulation in some regard doesn't mean you support dirty air or dirty water. I think basic laws are fine. I think most people who are limited government-minded believe basic laws are necessary to ensure a standard, but anything exceeding that would be problematic to our philosophy. And I think this is something even Democrats also believe in too, but we believe in reducing the National Park Service backlog without burdening taxpayers uh, a current model in place is any royalties collected on f- federal oil and gas uh, exploration efforts can help go offset the backlog. That's pretty much a snapshot of what I think conservatives view conservation and environmentalism on. And this largely goes along the lines of the formation of the Roosevelt Conservation Caucus that was just formed or formally announced, I should say. They've been developing this for a number of years and a public mention of it came back in the spring as a response to uh, Democrats pushing out the Green New Deal, something we've discussed here at length at District of Conservation. And this is a bicameral caucus comprising both Republicans from the House of Representatives and the United States Senate coming together to offer a public policy response to a lot of the extreme measures that people their colleagues on the other side of the aisle have been pushing out the status quo of environmentalism, of conservation. And they want it to be rooted in market-based approach and ingenuity. And as long as it's not promoting subsidies for energy interests or pitting interests against one another or picking winners and losers or proposing a carbon tax and uh, not proposing an above-all energy policy, When it comes to energy issues, I think this could be a pretty good effort to get Republicans to lead on conservation. And I think, I mean, both parties tend to promote, let's say, wildlife conservation, and they they support efforts to modernize the Pittman-Robertson Act and things of that sort. You don't really see that actively promoted by many Democrats because they're told to embrace more extreme positions, but there are some moderate Democrats who do go along the lines of supporting, let's say, efforts to increase hunting and fishing access, to perpetuate uh, the conservation standards that have been put in place in spite of what party leadership may tell them or what their more outspoken members have told them. Uh, 
but it's interesting to see this creation of a caucus. We're going to keep tabs on it. We may even bring on some members to come on and talk about what they're working on, talk about the philosophical underpinnings of what the caucus will stand for, what kind of bigger picture things they're going to focus on as a caucus and what that'll do for their party as a whole. But I think it's exciting to see the formation of that. We'll see what happens. I hope they stay to a true market foundation, limited government foundation, and promote a robust energy policy without infringing on environmental conservation efforts, all the while also supporting efforts to modernize the Endangered Species Act, promote a balance with wildlife conservation, and things of that sort. So that'll be interesting to follow and see what happens there. Another thing I wanted to discuss was my shadowing of the DC project last week. On Friday and Saturday, I spent some extensive time with the ladies of the DC project, which is a nonpartisan effort bringing together women from all 50 states to petition their lawmakers and to help them establish relationships with their federal lawmakers and to help reveal the faces and stories of real gun owners. The effort brings together women from all 50 states, at least one from each state, to Washington, D.C. each summer to lobby members of Congress in both the House of Representatives and the United States Senates and for them to share their stories about gun ownership. In this most recent flyover that was held over the course of several days, the ladies helped dispel myths about firearms ownership and used their best, uh, did their best to persuade politicians and their staff to defend gun rights if they hadn't already. And I got to go to their rally, heard from a slew of guest speakers, including women who were delegates to the DC project, talk about their personal journey in firearms, whether they were previously opposed to it or just ways that they've been able to come alive with the issue. And it was really cool to hear their perspectives and then the next day, last Saturday, I was able to spend half the day in real Virginia, as I call it, in the Winchester, Virginia area at a range day held by one of the co-founders, actually the the, the ringleader itself, uh, Diana Moeller. And she is a competitive shooter, a retired police officer, and the founder of DC Project, and she was one of the lead instructors. There was also Corinne Mosher, who I worked with extensively uh, during that day to to handle various different firearms, ranging from handguns to 12-gauge shotguns to AR-15 rifles. So Corinne was really wonderful and uh, great to work with there. And also Adam A. Dillon, or Amy Dillon, who uh, spent 12 years in the Marine Corps, is a firearms instructor and really fantastic lady too. All these ladies are really wonderful, but the three of them were leading instruction for the range day uh, that was geared towards media members like myself. And I just really enjoyed the experience working with other women. I've primarily been trained by men and there's no fault in that, no problem in that, but it kind of felt nice to be trained by women, like-minded women who understand kind of the female nature are a bit more tender and not so rough when explaining things. And it was just really good to do that and to reinforce certain things and to polish my technique. And I wrote about this at the research. I won't bore you with all the details there, but read my article there to get a really full glimpse into what the group is about. If you want to support them, I encourage you to support them financially or morally, get involved, learn more about them. It's really an interesting group of women. And some of them were ladies I've known in politics, ladies I've known in the outdoor industry and kind of these up and comers in the gun rights advocacy realm. And I think they're going to be doing a lot. It's a shame there were 
no members of mainstream outlets present. I think that was really sad and lamentable, but I think they're going to continue to grow in numbers and their media reach. And I think more people are going to be begging to talk to them. They're a really solid group. I can't recommend them enough. And check out my article, follow them on social media, on Facebook and Twitter, and get to know them because you're going to be hearing more from them. The final thing I wanted to discuss is the relocation of the Bureau of Land Management to Grand Junction, Colorado. So a few months ago, the Department of Interior decided that they wanted to move this agency, which is part of the Department of Interior. It's one of several agencies they oversee that handles public lands management. They wanted to move this out west because most of the federal land west of the Mississippi, some estimate to be up to 90% of federal land, lies out west. And many people have felt sidelined out west and kind of pigeonholed and not heard uh, by having the agency here in D.C. It's very far away. Uh, they're not really re- they weren't really responsive to the needs or concerns they had had about operation and things of that sort. And there's just been a concerted effort to help return or help put the agency in a more rightful place to be more attuned to the concerns of those most affected by federally held public lands and access related to that. And one person who was primarily responsible for the move was Colorado Senator Cory Gardner. And he put He testified in support of this in June of 2016 and was really keen on pushing it specifically to his state in the city of Grand Junction. And he is quoted as saying the following with regard to this move. And if you're out West, heed this and and listen to this. He said of yesterday with yesterday's announcement today is a historic day for our nation's public lands western states and the people of colorado he said relocating the bureau of land management to the western slope of colorado will bring the bureau's decision makers closer to the people they serve and the public lands they manage the problem with washington is too many policymakers are far removed from the people that they are there to serve 99% of the land that BLM manages is west of the Mississippi River, and so should be the BLM headquarters. This is a victory for local communities, advocates for public lands, and proponents of a more responsible, accountable federal government. I know many people may have different opinions about that, but having lived in the West, having spoken to private landowners and just your unconventional stakeholders and people on the ground, A lot of people have said over the years that this agency was just not responsive to their needs and just kind of making policy that to their detriment, making policy that disproportionately hurts the people that have to manage lands, that they have to balance public private partnerships or have to balance conservation easements and threatened or endangered species encroaching onto their private property. So I think this will be a pretty good move, something that kind of brings some balance to the agency, makes it a little more decentralized while still having a little bit of federal oversight to it, but allowing the agency to better respond to needs in a position that is much closer for those who want to be in communication with the agency. So I don't see anything wrong with the BLM relocating to Grand Junction from Washington, D.C. Perhaps that is the most explicitly political I will strive to be on here. 
But I wanted to reassure other Republicans and conservatives who listen to the podcast that they too can have a stake in conservation without compromising their free market or limited government values or reneging on their favorite pastimes with hunting or fishing. You just have to get part of the conversation, get involved, learn the dynamics, learn what entails conservation advocacy, and go from there. There is a growing demand for more Republicans to get involved, which is why this bicameral caucus, the Roosevelt Conservation Caucus, was formed. And I think many good things could be done with that. It is my hope to bring on some members belonging to that caucus. If feasible and doable, you'll hear more if and when that comes to fruition. And I think people of our political mindset should be actively engaged in the conversation. And even if you're not conservative or Republican, you should be too. And you should learn why people who hunt and fish tend to incline to conservatism without having to to be forced into it. Don't, don't feel like you have to be forced into it. But just learn why a lot of people are this way and welcome conservative people into the conservation space. You need us, much like we need you, to protect America's treasures, to protect the national parks, to promote true conservation efforts. We all need to work together. Make sure to follow the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can download all episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and our main hub, Anchor.fm, which will send you to 12 different platforms, or 11 different platforms, I should say, that host District of Conservation. Please leave a review if you feel inclined, subscribe, download past podcast episodes, and tell your friends about us. That'll help us reach more people. Thank you for listening, and I hope you guys have a great week. Go fishing.